may contain multitudes. I'm your host, writer and astrologer Abigail Nora, and we are back for episode two with a brand new microphone baby, Uh, mostly because my original microphone died on me after recording precisely one episode. I mean, full disclosure, I am fully learning by doing with this whole podcasting thing. I had the notion and the idea to start a podcast a little bit ago, so I was in Target, saw a cute aesthetic microphone, as the kids say, figured it's good enough to start. I have a gift card. It was indeed good enough to start. I mean, it recorded my voice, um, and then I just didn't want to talk to my computer anymore. So I did some very quick research, found this recommended option for under $100, and it even comes with one of those like wind guard things. Um, so I already feel like the sound quality is a little better, a lot better actually. And hopefully those harsh popping peas that we all love to hear will not be as harsh. So... Yeah, I'm really excited about my new microphone, Um, but let's get into what the stars have in store for us before uh, diving into the topics du jour. I gotta figure out a better flow for this, but like I said, learning by doing with this whole podcasting thing, just diving right into that deep end. So this episode will be released on September 11th, 2022, and that means that the immediate week ahead is actually, I don't want to say quiet, but everything that's happening is sort of a, a transit, but we did just come off a big old Pisces full moon and Mercury officially stationing retrograde. The vibes are different right now. Um, There's quite a few planets that are currently retrograde. I should really have my chart of the moment pulled up for this uh, instead of trying to remember off the top of my head. But we for sure know our girl Mercury. I'm just going to assign genders to the planets. Um, I don't know why Mercury feels like a gal, but let's just make them all gals. Um... Our friend Mercury, currently retrograde. People love to talk about the trials and tribulations of Mercury retrograde. I touched on this a little bit last week, but it is currently retrograde in Libra. So that's going to ask us to really reflect on our relationships, like textbook merch, excuse me, speaking issues, also Mercury retrograde, haha, <laughs> um, textbook mercury retrograde things like your ex texting you out of the blue that is mercury retrograde in libra so don't be surprised if stuff like that happens but libra also rules justice my cat literally just jumped up here to sniff the microphone so hello ollie welcome to the show anyway i'm noticing i don't enunciate mercury particularly well so if I like smush it and I say mercury I'm sorry I'm going to try to improve that because it's painful for me to listen back to so I'm sure it's painful for you to hear as well what I was going to say is that in addition to relationships Libra rules justice um it's literally the scales 
harmony aesthetics also very much play into it i think it's interesting the card i pulled for today is the high priestess she is not a libra card but she's sitting in between two pillars and there are some sort of elements of balance there so just Look at where your life might be out of balance. Look at where you might want to add more harmony, where you might want to address things in your relationships. I say the vibes are different right now because these energies are a little bit more reflective, a little bit more internal, a little bit more uh, transitional almost. We've got a couple of extra long void moons where the moon is void of course which is something to be totally transparent i'm still wrapping my cute little noggin around this concept um but that is like a moment of pause is is what i'm gathering gotta dive a little bit deeper into that in my astrological studies and then like i said very quiet week and then we start to get some transits this weekend um Venus will be square Mars. So <laughs> if you think about men are from Mars, women are from Venus, like a square is a more tense energy. So you might find like action driven, go, go, go motivation, feeling a little bit at odds with receptive feminine flow creativity. Venus is also the money planet. Um, so it could be an opportunity to look at how you can utilize your motivation to help support these things, but it might not be like the easiest, most flowing thing. It might be a little bit more of like a disciplinary lesson. Uh, squares make way for greatness, as my teacher, Natalia Benson, always reminds me because I have a shit ton of squares in my own chart, but that's another story for another day. You'll also have the sun opposite Neptune this Friday. That is like a very dreamy, like the sun is like radiant kind of, what's in front of us. Neptune is like dreamy, ethereal, what's beyond us. So uh, might be a little bit of a head of cloud, a head in the clouds moment on Friday, excuse me. Um, and then some a waning quarter moon in Gemini on Saturday. So I don't know why I said that. I don't actually know what a waning quarter moon means. I know new moons and full moons. <laughs> but the moon is Wait, like the moon's in Gemini, so we're gonna feel like Gemini vibes that weekend. Um, chitty chatty, but speaking of chitty chatty, Mercury, which will still be retrograde, will be opposite Jupiter on Sunday, which is also retrograde. So, wires just be really, really patient on Sunday. Uh, wires might get a little crossed. I actually think I may have just said Saturday. Um, but with these transits, like, yes, the exact transit might be happening on Sunday, September 18th, but the, the vibes are there for a little bit. So this weekend could, could be a weekend of crossed wires. And I think my biggest mantra to myself during times like these as a human being is patience and just go with the flow. I actually think ironically enough, I'm a more chill person during a Mercury retrograde period because it's almost like, I don't want to say it's an excuse because it's absolutely not an excuse. It's it's an external focus and reminder for me that I am absolutely not in control. <laughs> and when all these planets are direct, it can really feel like we've got some semblance of control. And we do. Obviously, you know, I am the captain 
what is that quote? That very famous literary quote that I'm about to just butcher. I am the captain of my fate. I am the something of my soul. Somebody correct me, because um, I'm not going to pause to Google that right now. But we're all masters of our destiny, sure. But also, the universe knows a lot more than we do. So much of life is outside of our control, and it is about accepting that and not struggling against it and mercury retrograde especially because it happens so frequently is a great time to just be like uh my plane's delayed what are you gonna do go in the cockpit and like volunteer as tribute like I don't think the federal aviation administration would take too kindly to that so I get more chill during a retrograde and I think that's a great way to approach it. Now, the reason this episode is called Fantasy Draft has absolutely nothing to do with football because I don't understand football. I know there are touchdowns. I know there are field goals. And I know my home team of the Bears is moving out of the city of Chicago and into the suburbs. I'm not a huge football girly, but I am a huge nerd. So fantasy draft here refers to fantasy and the fact that I'm currently obsessed with both House of the Dragon and Rings of Power. So why not go ahead and talk about what's on the fall watch list? It is September cozy weather is on the horizon if it hasn't fully arrived yet and it is time to be making yourself a midnight margarita and thinking about what you're gonna watch under that throw blanket okay and yes midnight margaritas is a reference to one of my favorite films of all time deeply misunderstood film unless you're in the know practical magic but so back to the tv of it all fantasy draft I, I'm not a big television watcher, but I do love appointment television. I love like a once a week situation, something to look forward to. And right now the appointments on my calendar are House of the Dragon, love some palace intrigue with a side of incest in vaguely medieval Europe, Rings of Power, enjoying being back in Middle Earth. The show is so shiny. I can I can totally tell that Jeff Bezos spent all his money to make this. Um, but I think it's well acted. I think it's good. I'm having a good time so far. I know there's some discourse around this show and people are calling it like woke Middle Earth because there are people of color in it. But I'm like, I think that's very silly and I'm just avoiding that discourse. Um, loving Rings of Power, really loving House of the Dragon, very much looking forward to Andor starring Diego Luna. I actually have a t-shirt that says, let Diego Luna touch Jabba. So I feel like I have to wear that when Andor comes out on good old Disney Plus, um, which I pay for for my family because I'm the nerd of the family who wants the Star Wars shows. Um, so that's my fantasy draft. My fantasy draft is Reina Targaryen. Future Abigail here to correct my own pronunciation of Rhaenyra. I guess I just got excited 
there's a Rhaenyra and a Rhaenice and two Aegons in this show, so, you know, I can't really blame myself that much for that little goof. Anyway, back to it. The queen of my heart, her absolute shit-stirrer of an Uncle Damon, who I love for his shit-stirring, played by Matt Smith. Uh, my other fantasy draft is that one Game of Thrones actor who showed up in Rings of Power to play young Hugo Weaving, who, even though he doesn't really look like Hugo Weaving, I'm enjoying his performance as Elrond so far. And um, looking ahead to my forecast, I will be fantasy drafting Diego Luna always because he's a beautiful man and I'm very excited for Andor. And um, if I could just nerd out for uh, one more second here, I would love it if there were not a single Jedi in this show. I love Star Wars. I think the Jedi are fascinating. But we've we've heard enough about the Skywalkers. Lightsabers are cool. I my first one of my first crushes was Ewan McGregor. I love me some Obi-Wan Kenobi, but like, let's see what everybody else is up to. It's like a whole galaxy, George Lucas. Like, well, George doesn't own it anymore. But anyway, <laughs> I literally just called this episode Fantasy Draft so I could nerd out on these three shows that I'm watching or excited to watch this fall. Also, obviously, deeply entrenched in Bravo right now and the Real Housewives of various cities. On the film front, um, I haven't been keeping up as closely with like Venice, Telluride, Toronto sort of awardsy stuff, but I have been enraptured. By the don't worry darling press cycle um unfortunately i don't know i will be seeing this movie in theaters most likely because number one i really like the stepford wives i thought the new one wasn't that bad i had a good time yeah the nicole kidman one that everybody hated i think frank oz directed it again not gonna google but if that's true that's wild um so i like that type of film I love Florence Pugh and I love Chris Pine um and I've heard the movies neither as bad as Spitgate would have you believe nor as good as like maybe it could be Uh, I think a lot of people have sophomore slump albums perhaps this is just Olivia Wilde's sophomore slump directorial effort um again I'll see it I'll judge for myself I'll probably walk out of it thinking it was fine And for those of you who don't know, allegedly at the Venice Film Festival this weekend, well, last week, technically, last week, people believe there is a video that shows Harry Styles spitting on Chris Pine. It was like a whole thing. Twitter was very fun. And then Queen Elizabeth died and Twitter switched its focus to that. But some very astute observer on Twitter noticed that as Harry allegedly spit Chris Pine he stops clapping and he looks down but if you keep watching Chris Pine you see him pick up his sunglasses and then kind of chuckle to himself and this person and I'm sorry I don't know who said it so I can't credit their Twitter handle but this person posits that Chris Pine was like where are my sunglasses and happens to look for them at the exact moment that Harry purses his lips or whatever. 
sees them in his lap and then chuckles to himself like, tee hee hee, silly me, my sunglasses were in my lap the whole time. And then Chris Pine proceeds to put the sunglasses on his face when the film starts, which is a choice, but I have really been enjoying his outfits and his styling this entire Venice run, so, you know, the man can do what he wants. I'm going to age myself here. I believe Gen Z thinks it's cringe to even engage in this debate, but um, I do believe Pine is our best Chris. He has a slight edge over Evans, but those two are neck and neck. They're both great. I don't think I'm worried, darling, but I will be uh, seeing Don't Worry, Darling in the movie theater. You know, Harry Styles said... It feels like a real go-to-the-theater movie, so that is what I shall be doing. Anyway, there are a handful of films that I turn to, and honestly, they're three of my favorite films of all time, and I think that's because I'm a basic fall bitch. I love fall. I don't love the earlier setting of the sun, but I love pretty much everything else about the season. Um... So, of course, they are my number one favorite movie of all time and the best romantic comedy of all time, When Harry Met Sally. I adore Nora Ephron. I think this movie is absolutely fantastic. I, it, it, yes, it's, it's a great fall movie. It's a great any time of year movie. Like, these two people, honestly... Carrie Fisher and Bruno Kirby are the unsung heroes of that movie. I don't think they're that unsung. I think people who love When Harry Met Sally agree with me. It's so freaking quotable. I was sitting in my mom's house one time and our whole conversation was just lines from When Harry Met Sally. Um, Like we'd look at each other and go, that wagon wheel coffee table. There was no wagon wheel coffee table in our vicinity. Um... I, the fun facts I know about this movie, like that Harry and Sally's phone conversations were based on Rob Reiner's and Billy Crystal's real life phone conversations because they were best friends. And that's why Rob Reiner originally did not want to cast Billy Crystal in this movie because he's like, I've worked with you too many times. I'm just regurgitating the blank check episode on this movie, which is one of my favorite podcasts. The Nora Ephron series is obviously one of my favorite series. Go listen to that episode. Watch When Harry Met Sally like once a day. It's good for your soul. Also good for your soul. My number two, but a lot of people's number one. You've got mail. Don't you just love New York in the fall? One of my best friends had a quote from it as her Instagram bio for a long time. And then she quit Instagram. Now she's back on Instagram. We love You've Got Mail just it's like cozying up with an old friend and it's actually kind of a sad movie um and Tom Hanks plays a real jerk in it and I adore it and have so much fun and it it makes me happy even though things in it go wrong because isn't that life um also incredibly quotable something I say to myself frequently that caviar is a garnish little black turtleneck with short sleeves. I mean, a classic fit from Meg Ryan. Uh, many of her her outfits in these films still immensely wearable today. And speaking of immensely wearable today, if you have not watched Practical Magic in a hot second, every single woman in that movie, 
looks immaculate. You've got, I mean, take your coastal grandma. I want wacky witch aunt. Sandra Bullock's looks are actually pretty coastal grandma in that. And then Nicole Kidman is just full on current fashion, little slip skirts, little sunglasses. I mean, it's all circular as we know, but I love Practical Magic so much. It's a, it's a weird film in that it hits multiple genres and multiple tones. And I think it was like not critically, I think it was either panned or perhaps not even very well received. But to my mind, a perfect film, a wacky, wacky premise. Um, but God, I love it so much. I might watch that tonight, actually. Um, so that's my fall watch list. That is my fantasy draft. We've got current television, buzzy movie where the press cycle is making a lot more noise than the quality of the film itself, and the top three fall films, two Nora Ephron vehicles, When Harry Met Sally and You've Got Mail, and our girls, Sandy B and Nicole K in Practical Magic. Also a young Evan Rachel Wood, fun fact. Speaking of fall, it is that time of year where I absolutely do not know what clothes to put on my body. I feel like in the heat of summer or the dead of winter, I'm always wishing wishing, and yearning for this transitional weather. And then transitional weather shows up and I'm like, ah, I don't know what to do now. Um, so... <laughs> I just look at my closet and I have a fairly curated, almost like capsule wardrobe and I see things on Pinterest or on TikTok or on Instagram and I'm like, that'd be a cute outfit. And then I end up wearing the same three outfits over and over and over again. Um, but all this to say, fall fashion is indeed on my brain. And because we are living under late stage capitalism, and fashion week is a thing again, and I like nice things, I will be doing a full September issues, what are we wearing, fall fashion episode next time around. So that is something to look forward to. There will be a more direct astrological tie for that one too. Uh, but anyway, speaking of fashion, I subscribe to Amy O'Dell's Substack back row. She is a former fashion editor, um, I believe, oh, I should go get the book and confirm this. I believe she was at Vogue? She wrote a biography on Anna Wintour at any rate. So she's a Condé, former Condé Nast or Hearst employee who really knows her stuff. Hello, it's future me again. I decided to Google this before releasing this episode. She was one of the very first writers at The Cut, which remains one of my favorite websites to this day, and later became an editor at Cosmopolitan. Um, so not Vogue, but still, you know, big names. Wrote the book Tales from the Back Row. Currently has a fashion-focused substack called Back Row, and in her most recent issue. She interviews the beauty journalist Jessica Defino, and Jessica Defino is not a traditional beauty journalist. She's a writer who's really focused on like getting beyond the marketing, like what is actually good for our skin 
get past the fluff because when you're reading Allure or when you're reading even my favorite website like The Cut, you know, it's so driven by marketing dollars and and the spend of these companies that it influences the coverage because that's just media literacy 101, you know? So Jessica Defino, Amy O'Dell interviews her about Fashion Week Beauty because, you know, Tresemme has been a sponsor of New York Fashion Week for a long time now. And that's a big way for these beauty companies to be involved. And one line in particular stood out to me. She talked about how every single year there's a middle part, there's a new nail, there's dewy skin, and this no makeup makeup thing, clean girl beauty, whatever you want to call it, it's been a cultural phenomenon for literal decades probably. And Jessica sees this idea of no makeup makeup as really kind of a class performance. And that was very interesting to me. She talks about the invisible aesthetic labor that goes into it, meaning like the expensive skincare, the facials, the fillers, the Botox. And it reminded me of this great Gia Tolentino essay in her book, Trick Mirror, Always Be Optimizing, which is about kind of the performance of being a woman, especially a woman in America under a capitalist society and and what that does to us. And all of this to say, I am not judging this in any way, shape, or form. I mean, I buy into this. I find joy in a stainless steel gua sha. I feel like it's actually snatching my jaw or whatever. And I, I love my little Peter Thomas Roth hyaluronic acid under eye patches and I put them in the fridge and then I put them under my eyes. And do they actually do anything? I don't know, but they feel good. Um, and let's be completely transparent here. If I had the disposable income, I would totally go for Kybella or Kylina. One of those is a jaw injectable and one of those is birth control. But I'm talking about the jaw injectable and I always mix it up. I think... Kybella is the jaw one, but I might be wrong. I mean, like a filler here or there? Absolutely. Like, if I had the money, not to say I don't, like, if I had a pocket of my disposable income to put toward fillers, I would. Because I, I buy into it. So... Gia Tolentino is one of my favorite writers. I think she's so sharp. Um, and she actually wrote another essay this very year for The New Yorker about Instagram face that touches on similar themes uh, about sort of societal expectations and their impact on our literal aesthetic, as in the way we look as people and as women particularly, but people in general. Um, and so she interviews all these plastic surgeons in Beverly Hills, you know, they like the plastic surgeons these days are very upfront about it. They say, you know, people come in, they want to look like him. They want to look like Hailey Bieber, whatever the case may be. And as Gia is interviewing these doctors and as they're showing her through Facetune or whatever, what her face could look like, she finds herself wanting it. So she doesn't really have an answer and I don't have one either. I mean, can you partake and critique? Is that kind of what I'm doing right now? I mean, look, I just got my renewed passport 
in the mail. And I spent a bunch of times, a bunch of times, I spent so much time watching TikToks of girlies, not half my age, but girlies like five years younger than me saying, do this makeup for your passport and you'll look amazing. And I recreated it poorly because <laughs> I don't have contour sticks. Whatever. The moral of the story, I watched the TikToks. I did the passport makeup. I took the photo myself. I took like 50 photos with a ring light so that my passport photo would look not awful because I am not immune to this. And I don't think the answer is necessarily like going in a cave and saying you look how you look. I don't know that there is an answer. I don't know that it's entirely problematic either. Um, There are certainly nefarious elements to all of it. I think the class implications that Jessica DeFino touches on are problematic because it's almost like stealth wealth of the face like in lieu of a garish makeup look you're very calm you're very minimal but it's like but I spent $300 on the Augustinus Bader rich cream which is supposed to be amazing but it's 300 doll hairs and if you want to spend that if you have that money do it good for you but I, I, I don't have an answer, but I find the system behind this fascinating. Um, so I think the moral of the story is that being a woman in the 21st century is not an easy journey for many, many reasons. This is not as seismic as some of the things facing women today, but it, it is something that we have to contend with. Um, And it's something I think about fairly frequently. So just some food for thought, if you will. Speaking of food, though, there is a food trend I want to touch on. And I would like to preface it by saying that sometimes as a Midwesterner, a born and bred middle of the country gal, I'm convinced I'm very out of the loop on what's cool. I live in Chicago. It's a great city, but we're like a year behind New York and Los Angeles at, you know, maybe six months at best. Okay. We're not the coastal elite. Lake Michigan is not a coast. Um, so I'm like convinced that I try to keep up, but you know, people in New York especially are always going to be a little bit ahead of me on certain things. And then I see, to mine own eyes do appear, a whole ass article in The Cut, one of my favorite publications of all time, New York Magazine itself, about one of my favorite happy hour combos, of all time. And that, my friends, is the oyster and martini combo. First of all, as my boss rightfully pointed out to me when I told her that I've been really into gin martinis with a twist, and I think they're having a moment, she looks at me and she's like, Abigail, 
martinis are a classic like what are you on which is true and I think martinis are also there's like a a gateway levels of martinis if you will you probably start with the dirty because it just tastes like olive juice it's like salty goodness and then eventually you start experimenting with specifying a type of vodka or specifying your type of olive. And then you're like, I wonder what this gin martini thing is all about. And eventually you realize you like a Monkey 47. You like a Hendrix. You like to specify how much vermouth you want in your martini. And to be clear, I am workshopping where I fall on the wetness scale. But, you know, there's a there are levels to martinis and they are classics for a reason. They're not a trendy drink. They have been around for decades. So a martini is like the loafer of cocktails. They might mutate and evolve through the years, you know, developing an open fur-lined back, a la those Gucci Princetown slippers that were everywhere in like 2015 that... I still want because Mary-Kate Olsen wore them one time or, you know, a lug sole last year. But they never really go away. Even the espresso martini, which I loved, but I think its moment is cresting, is an evolution of a very, very classic beverage. I feel like every other summer people are like, the Cosmos are coming back, like Sex in the City 2.0 or 3.0 or whatever we're at now. So to see martinis... I mean, are they trending? Possibly. Are they ever going to end? I don't think so. And as a noted shellfish fan who will order lobster at any given opportunity, I also think oysters are a classic. But apparently they're so trendy that 20-somethings in New York City are out here getting oyster tattoos. I mean, they're just salty, briny, gooey sea goodness. Like, if you really think about an oyster, they're they're sea boogers, right? Like, you're literally slurping them down. There's, like, no cute way to eat them. If anybody's seen the supercut of Ramona Singer on The Real Housewives of New York City slurping down an oyster, thinking it's attractive, it might make you never want an oyster again. So I don't recommend you seek it out. But... These are just two delicious salty things that are apparently enough of a trend that someone at The Cut, again, one of my favorite places, was able to pitch a whole piece on why am I seeing oysters all over my Instagram and then write an article about it, which I do have to say I really, really, really admire because she managed to work a Sylvia Plath reference into it. So as the cut notes, these are the same salty aphrodisiacs Sylvia Plath presumably loved and ate for breakfast, washing them down with wine and wine. The cut writer goes on to say, I highly doubt your doctor would be happy to hear you decided on a similar Plath-adjacent combo for dinner, which is literally what I am about to go do gonna get myself like six oysters and a dirty martini at one of my favorite happy hours in Chicago and taking it back to the whole I have no idea what to wear in this weather situation I did land on a cutie little silk skirt and white tank top with a white oversized linen shirt 
which I always think is a very brave choice when spillable things are involved. I am someone who fully tripped on a flat sidewalk yesterday, so I like this outfit, but I would also like to be commended for my bravery and wearing white and knowing I may or may not order something with red sauce after the oysters. Anyway, this has been episode two of May Contain Multitudes, a very rambly one. Uh, Next week, I think, will be a little bit tighter, but hey, this is a little bit of a a stream of consciousness. What's going on in the universe type of podcast? We're going to figure it out as we go along. In the meantime, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, share it with your friends, leave me a five-star review um, as like an A for effort. Uh, Just knowing I'm going to continue to improve. (laughs) Because would I personally leave myself a five-star review right now? No, I think I'm at a solid like four. But four-star reviews don't help spread the word. Five-star reviews do. It's just the podcast game. And unfortunately, you, you have to play it. So thank you so, so, so much for listening. Follow along. Follow me on Instagram. I'm at Abigail Nora. If you want to book a reading, my website is abigailnora.com and I will see you next time. All right. Bye-bye.